Welcome again to another episode of The Human Voice. As always, this is Bob Hutchins. Thank you for listening. I don't do this often, but I just want to thank you very much for subscribing, listening to my podcast. This is a labor of love. As you've noticed, I have no advertisements. I just like talking to people, having conversations, and getting the word out about what I'm doing. So you can help me with that. If you would, push pause right now and go and like and rate my podcast on what other platform you are. That would help get the word out more, create social proof, all the great things that is the podcast world today. So if you would, do me a favor right now. Go ahead, press pause and do that, and I'll be here when you get back. Thank you. For those of you who did that, I really, really appreciate it. Now on with the show. Today, I have the great fortune of having a good friend on. Mr. Don Donahue, he's a 30-plus-year veteran of the entertainment and creative community in and around Nashville, Los Angeles, New York, and Austin. His passion has always been a tastemaker, introducing talent, artists, media, and messaging to the world in new and unique ways. He's known as a futurist and creative producer. He sees and hears his clients' needs and brings a fresh perspective and diverse view to the conversation. For 15 years of his career, Don was the president of Rocket Town Records, a company he founded with Grammy Award-winning artist Michael W. Smith. Rocket Town sold over 10 million CDs over the span of its lifetime. He served as executive producer over a two-year talent competition for Avon Cosmetics, working with artists from 73 different countries. Don has negotiated partnerships and production deals with Live Nation, AEG, Marriott Hotels, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Visitors Bureau, and many other corporate brands in live events, as well as marketing and messaging campaigns. Don's passion is found in business development with a creative slant, and he's not shy about leveraging his network for the betterment of his clients' projects. Don, welcome to the podcast. Bob, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Yeah, I'm excited to talk with you, Don. So where are you, where are you being the human voice from today? I am bringing the human voice to you from Columbia, Tennessee. After 30 plus years in Franklin, I have four adult children who have kind of flown the coop and I have one 12 year old. So we, we downsized a little bit, moved out to the country and are really enjoying it here. Good. So good. Yeah. I've been to your house. It's beautiful. It's for those of you who don't know. I'm in Franklin, Tennessee, which is just south of Nashville, probably 25 minutes, 20, 25 minutes, depending on how fast you drive. And then Don, probably another 40 minutes from me, I would say, right? So you're probably a good over an hour from Nashville. How long does it take you to, to go drive up to Nashville? You know, the, the great news about being in the entertainment business is by nature, everybody's a little bit of a late starter. So you miss, <laughs> you know, the, the big traffic. So on music business commute, it is probably right at an hour, mm. but I had an 8 a.m. meeting at the Nashville Convention and Visitors Bureau about a month ago, and my Google told me to leave at 6.30, so I left at 6.30, and I got there at quarter to nine, 45 minutes late. Wow. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a whole lot of people that live on the south side of metropolitan Nashville that are all heading downtown at the same time. And it's before the music business starts. So I'll, I'll make that a note next time. Well, speaking of the music business, Don, that has, that has been, I guess, your world for much of your career, not just music, but I'd love for you to tell your story. Who is Don Downahue? Maybe, maybe a 500 foot view of your, of your younger life, and then maybe spending a little more time in how you got into the creative industry. Sure. I was raised in Columbia, Missouri. I now live in Columbia, Tennessee. <laughs> and later in this podcast, we will probably talk about the launch of my new company, which is an acronym, MOTN. 
uh, the state of Missouri, the state of Tennessee, a new agency is forming called Motion. Graphically, it looks like Motion. So love it. I was raised in the Midwest by two working class depression era, undereducated parents. Mm -hmm. My father just completed ninth grade and my mother graduated high school, but she was basically an, an orphan who raised her her younger sister and my my dad from an Irish Catholic family was the second oldest of nine. So by the time you got to be, you know, 14 years old, you you need to be contributing to the the cookie jar on top of the refrigerator just to pay the bills. So right. my dad was he was Willie Loman. He was a he was a classic salesman. There's hardly a product in the in the world that he he didn't sell. So they were the family heritage is is, is in St. Louis, and in 1972 or three, they moved 120 miles west to Columbia, and that's where I was raised and grew up and graduated high school. Went away one year to what is now called Missouri State University, which was called Southwest Missouri back then, within Springfield. And then came back to the University of Missouri in Columbia and almost completed my education there. Got it. And that's how we, that's how we'll segue into entertainment. <laughs> okay. Well, let's go from a small town, Missouri to entertainment mogul in Nashville. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Well, I'll let you know when we reach the mogul status, but <laughs> no, I, faith was a, certainly a part of my upbringing, but it wasn't a core value in my home. Again, I, I referred to Irish Catholic and was raised in the Catholic church. I have two older sisters. One is 10 years older. One is five years older. And I think my parents stopped forcing us to go to mass when it became difficult to get the teenage girls out of bed on Sundays. So, you know, it kind of, faith took a little bit of a backseat for probably a lot of my formative years, you know, maybe eight to 16. And then I got involved or I actually was, you know, kind of a a perfect sample of a ministry called Young Life that I'm a big fan of and supporter of. And they just believe in loving on kids and right. no agenda, showing up at their cafeterias, at their sporting events, and just walking alongside them in life. And I became a Christian when I was a junior in high school. And all of your, well, I, I won't make that macro statement. Many well-intentioned friends want you to replace all of your worldly entertainment choices with Christian substitutes. And about a month into it, I was like, what did I sign up for? <laughs> Almost <laughs> all of these substitutes are subpar to, you know, all those evil things that I was listening to, like Phil Collins and REO Speedwagon and things like that. Yeah. So, but one Christian music wasn't measuring up. No, it wasn't measuring up on any level. I loved that. And, but there was one artist that really broke through. And, and in 1985, I went to a Michael W. Smith concert and I just thought, you know, this, they're doing something different here. Now, now I have the, the view of looking back and, and knowing strategically everything they were doing differently. They were investing a lot of money in production elements. And at that time, like, moving lights you know that's that was you only saw those on the big mainstream tours and i just thought you know this looks and sounds performance everything was great and so i just decided to get involved with my student activities council at the university of missouri and bring in michael w for a concert and i did so sorry i had to take a drink there um, I had to, well, I didn't literally have any idea how to do that. So I, I got inside of the cassette or whatever, looked in the liner notes and called the phone number, which was Michael's record label. And they gave me Michael's booking agent. And I called on a Friday afternoon and said, you know what, I, I would like to bring Michael to my university campus. You know, what does it take? And who turned out to be a very dear friend of mine, a booking agent named Scott Huey. This is our first conversation. And he he gave me a sum of money and he said, just, you know, bring me that by Monday and you can have a Friday night show in April. And I was like, oh, okay. And it was a, I mean, it's certainly not a crazy number, but for a college kid it is. So I went and got up Saturday morning, put on a tie, went to the Christian bookstore in town and radio station and cast a vision for bringing uh committee to town and Two, two gentlemen said, yes, we'll underwrite that. And I promoted a concert 
I started, I think I signed the contract in January and we did the concert in April and I was as green as could be. And this is back, you know, before probably many of your listeners know that you used to tack posters up on telephone poles and things like that. And we came darn close to breaking even, but I was kind of bit with the bug of that was something where I literally just went, well, if my friends won't drive with me a couple hours to see this, then this is good enough that I want to introduce them to something that I think is cool. And, and two weeks later, Scott called and offered me a job in New York city to work for them. And that's where I was at the end of my junior year and I was in hotel and restaurant management. And I was literally just doing that so that I could get good grades and get my degree, but I had no passion for that. So I went to my parents who, you know, again, education was not the highest value or core in our house. And they said, you know, chase it, you know, go give it some time. And I moved to New York and worked for Smitty's booking agency for, for a year. And that was fantastic. And, but I knew I wasn't built for the long haul in New York city coming from the Midwest. I had made acquaintances and connections with Michael's team through the promotion of the show and ended up moving down to Nashville in 1989. Mm. So that was kind of the, the backstory. It was really, you know, it's kind of, I literally did one show. I got one call with the job offer. My parents said, we bless this move, you know, go chase it, i.e. get it out of your system. And it became my career. That's amazing. That's amazing. So, so you worked in the industry and then fast forward, you and Smitty reconnected and started Rocket Town. Is that, is that kind of the fast forward? Well, yeah, but all of that is kind of those, those tracks are kind of greased by a gentleman named Michael Blanton. And Michael was Mike is was Michael W and Amy Grant's manager. And I realized that I was really probably more a fan of his company at the time. It was it was called Blanton Harrell, and they owned Michael W's label called Reunion. And I was able to you know meet with Mike a few times, and he ended up hiring me as an as an A and R talent scout for Reunion. So over a five year period of time, I started working professionally with. Smitty. And in that five years, I think the company was somehow bought and sold two or three different times. And it got to the point where kind of the company I went to work for, which is very grassroots everybody knows each other, became a little bit of a cog in the corporate entity. This is the early nineties and mainstream music was really investing in Christian music. And so Michael and I started talking about what would it be like to just follow the blueprint of what Mike and Dan did 10 years earlier and start something, you know, really small, really artist centric, really focused around a certain kind of artist. And over the period of about a year, we, we planned it and, uh, launched it in 1996. And that was kind of very full circle to go from just being a, a, a fan big enough to just try to brings someone to town to really, you know, loving the man and his heart and his family and creating a company together. Mm. That's amazing. And that that rocket town had a a 15 year run and 10 million CDs and all kinds of sales later and concerts and breaking new artists that came to an end in, in what was that? 2010, 11? came to a pretty slow end actually it 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 really came to an end the day i bought the first ipod mm. and we can google that and figure out what that was but that was probably oh four oh five something like that mm-hmm. and uh, i just remember you know i went to the store and i got it and i came back to my office at rocket town and i plugged it in and i just remember being infatuated with the fact that I can cherry pick all my favorite music off of albums and rebuild these, you know, this is long before playlists or things like that, but I was just, I was such a lover of art and music and, and lyric and everything. But I thought, you know, this is so cool. I can go get my three favorite songs from goodbye yellow brick road and my two favorite songs from the stranger. And then it was like, 
that moment in a John Hughes movie where, you know, like a lightning bolt hits in front of my desk and I was like, yeah. Oh, <laughs> this, this, if you put on your record company owner hat, this is the beginning of the end. Yeah. 99 cents yeah. versus 15.99 is a big, too big a spread. That's a big spread, especially for a young and growing company. I mean, you know, the, the arc of labels has changed and I understand they're all pretty healthy again, although I don't play in the, in the, in the recorded music game anymore, but there was a, there was a long period of time where the, really the only way that, that, that labels survived was on the sale of their back catalog. And, you know, we had a very small back catalog and so, yeah. I went on a quest at that point to kind of figure out where this was all going. So I set up a, a series of meetings with other executives that I had great respect for, or even lost touch with. And over one summer, I had like a three month period of, of about 30 meetings where I just asked them, you know, what, what are you doing about this? And uh, 29 of those 30 said, nothing this is a passing fad you know it's a format change like a track to cassette to cd <clears throat> and i'm not you know the sharpest tool in the shed but my my gut was saying you can't put this toothpaste back in the in the tube you know it's something has seismically changed the one person who was on par or ahead of me a guy named barry landis was an executive at Word at the time, introduced me to an attorney out of Atlanta who was putting together all of these. At the time, they were called 360 deals with Live Nation and AEG, where they looked at the totality of an artist touring and you know, basically every revenue stream, advanced them a ton of money, and then kind of owned the rights. And so that's that's where I started to see the totality of everything that goes around an artist, including things I had never thought about. Like, you know, we, we, we actually were honored to meet with Philip Anschutz, who was, he's the A of AEG. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was, he was fascinating. He's a Christian man. He came to Los Angeles to meet with us because he was a Michael W fan. And uh, he, he was, we, we met in a, in a construction trailer because they were building LA live at the time, the Staples center and all of that stuff. And that was all of his property. And at one point in the meeting, he said, you guys probably won't love to hear this. He said, but you know, all of this is a real estate play. You know, he said, I don't, I kind of don't care what's going on in the Staples center, whether it's a hockey game or a truck pull or a worship conference, or he said, it doesn't matter because you know, it's, he own, basically owns the ticketing and, you know, he's got all of these streams of revenue. It was, it was very, very smart, it, but that's when a light bulb went on to me of, you can look at this a lot of different ways. I choose to be very precious with the art and it did take me as a little abrupt, but I went, well, let's compare our resumes. He owns the LA Kings and the Staples Center. And I'm trying to survive. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's learn where we can from people. So Bob, I feel like I'm just telling a massively long story, but. Oh, no, this is really uh, fascinating because I think it lays the groundwork for the deeper questions of how your love of creativity and art and the, and, and how that integrates into business really drives what you do. And I think those intersections to me are not only important and fascinating, but I think they're essential to the world we're facing now and the world that is coming and is is rapidly coming in the future. So why don't you go ahead and finish that, yeah. that piece of the story out and then kind of like, okay, what you learned, how Rocket Town started to change and wind down, and then what you've been doing since. Sure. Well, the short of it was we met with AEG's executives and Live Nation's executives, both of whom were setting up those 360 deals. And by this point now, obviously, Michael W., the artist, has been brought into the conversation because they're looking at this, you know, the, the bullseye is Smitty. And he happens to be an owner of a record company that we can distribute product through. So 
the conversation had to get much bigger at that point. And you have to bring in his management and business management and all that. And the, the, the short end to that story is we negotiated for two years with Live Nation and we came to an agreement with Live Nation to do an all rights deal with Michael. And we were basically going to be the, the faith and family portion of those 360 deals. And because it took us two years to get to that, they had begun to see that those deals weren't playing out financially the way they wanted them to. So literally somewhere in the archives of Live Nation is a contract that is signed by Michael W. Smith that was not countersigned by Live Nation. So that didn't necessarily impact Smitty's world that much. But at the end of that road, I just remember sitting in the office and saying to him, I can't keep doing this. Mm. I can't, I can't keep trying to find bands and make small funded records and sell a lot of them for 99 cents. Like I'd, I'd kind of, maybe it's not that I had lost the spirit, but maybe it is more, I had seen all of the new opportunities and roadways that were going forward. So, you know, Rocket Town Records actually never closed. It still exists and the catalog still churns, but we just haven't put out any new music since about 2008. <laughs> Got it. Wow. What a story and what an interesting ride for you. And I do remember the label. I do remember when I had started my digital agency, actually Rocket Town was a client and did marketing mm -hmm. for those records. So our lives have kind of intersected and crossed in unique ways during the evolutions of, of technology and the entertainment business. So when you and I reconnected not that long ago, we, we shared some interesting and fun stories of, of how things mm -hmm. changed. Well, where did that take you after that? After you had that conversation, you said, I, I don't think I, I can do this anymore. I think this part of my life might chapter might be closing. I'm ready for a new one. Where did you go? You know, I, I just kind of hung out at a shingle called Donahue entertainment and you know, just looked for interesting things to consult on and be a part of and, and did that for about a, about a year. And then I was hired to be general manager of a, of a, a Nashville based entertainment company that was in partnership with Avon cosmetics out of New York city that was doing a basically Avon idol. Avon is a, is, is our grandmother's makeup line. And they were trying to kind of, you know, bring their demographic a little younger. So they, I thought it was a brilliant idea. They thought one of the ways that we can do that to introduce a younger generation of women to become Avon ladies is to do this talent competition. And it, they're a massively global company. So we basically produced a Avon Idol for two years. And it's, I think, I think it started at about 900 women and, you know, I was executive producer and, and basically had to, with myself, one other person from my company and two executives from Avon, listen to all of those and keep cutting them down. And granted, plenty of those were not in English. So, you know, since it's such a global company, we, we gave basically a choice of about 20 pop songs and, you know, music is absolutely a universal language. So a woman could be from Bolivia and sing Celine Dion flawlessly in English, you know, it's because she has always heard her that way. So we, that again, showed me the corporate level using entertainment to drive their message was a cool idea. And I started seeing that there were that you, you know, again, using is, is a bad word. Let's say leveraging entertainment to move the needle on other on non-conventional businesses is something that I was interested in. So I did a two year long contract with the city of Fort Lauderdale, Florida to produce a live music festival for them at a time when they needed hotel rooms full. So November is what they call their shoulder season. And they said, okay, well, what if we put on a festival and we have rooms that are empty and our job is to bring tourists to Fort Lauderdale. Let's use music as a driver for that. So we did that for two years and that led to booking concert series at a Ritz Carlton outside of Atlanta, Georgia for seven summers because Sunday nights was a slow night for them. So we did Sunday nights over the summer. We do, you know, 12 to 14 weeks in a row of concerts and that drove people to stay another night. So I started to see this you know, 
it's almost like Mr. Anschutz was saying, you know, there's so many different ways that you can look at quote unquote, what's in the building, how to leverage entertainment that it kind of made me think I've, the first part of my career, I'm incredibly thankful for, but it was very laser focused on talent discovery and talent introduction. And now I'm really feeling like I'm a representative of entertainment to non-conventional areas. Mm. Representative of entertainment to non-conventional areas. So what, what would be examples of some of them? I mean, maybe just a shorter version of the last two stories I told. A CVB's job mm. is to bring tourists to discover their town. And music is the Trojan horse for that. Ritz-Carlton looks at their summer and goes, okay, corporate business doesn't come in until Monday. Families go home Sunday morning. How do we keep people to stay an extra night? Well, let's book, let's do a, a summer concert series. Now this, this particular Ritz-Carlton is built for it. It's got a big backyard and a, a stage down by a lake. I mean, it's perfect. So they started seeing their Sunday night stays increase. So you know, everyone, there, there really is a, there's a pull to music. There's a pull to certain parts of entertainment that just says, we want to be together and all of this is fun. And it's a summer night, we're by a lake and there's a great band and let's stay another night. So it's a way to increase revenue for businesses is what that chapter was really all about. And and then I went into consulting with a company that was very focused on the corporate meeting space, which was new for me. Mm. And I started as a, basically a, a, a coach for the CEO to kind of go, okay, let's look at things this way. We changed the name of the company to be a little softer. And I started just helping him expand his offerings and the corporate meeting world was pretty foreign to me, but it's a, it's a massive, massive market. You know, I mean, these huge companies and mid middle-sized companies, they all have sales conferences and they all have product meetings and dealer meetings. And basically a guy like me comes in and goes, how do you make those less boring? How do you, how do you come up with concepts that, that capture the content that they want the guests to capture, go home and apply to their job. How do you reinforce that using creativity? And so we came up with some different things using different types of artistry. And then it goes from, okay, the CFO just gave a 45 minute talk and we didn't retain a whole lot of that. But then, you know, you put on a session like right before lunch where there's a collaborative we bring three songwriters up to almost kind of make fun of the three points that the CFO wants you to bring, create something original on stage. Well, now everybody's back at the water cooler talking about the song, but I have come alongside the songwriters to go hear the three points that need to be made. So right. we're reinforcing that content. It's great. Um, I've also seen you do that with other forms of entertainment besides music. It could be magicians, it could be artists, painters, et cetera. Correct. It really is. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's hearing and knowing the pulse of the client and trying to figure out what the best application is. Justin Flom is, is a magician. He's a, he's an entertainer. He's, he's, a, he's one of the biggest Facebook influencers in the world right now that happened all over the pandemic. But what I noticed about him was if you say something to a corporate executive, like I have a great idea, let's reinforce your morning session with a magic show. It's a little hard to say with a straight face, but what I know is Justin is so much more than a magician. He is an amazing speaker. He is an amazing host, and he happens to have up his sleeve these 90 illusions that will absolutely blow your mind. So if he, I mean, I call him, it's kind of like he's Ryan Seacrest. He comes out with high energy, he's great looking, he's very charismatic. And then all of a sudden he and I together have collaborated on, again, these are the two points from the afternoon, pull somebody out of the audience, use this illusion to reinforce this message. Yeah. And I have had a CEO from a healthcare company say, I've never had stickier content than when, when we did that with Justin. Sure. 
Well, I think this is a good doorway to kind of step into the deeper, bigger conversations that I, I always like to have on the podcast. And that's this intersection of human connection and struggle and psychology and change and spirituality and where they all kind of intersect to push us forward, make us better people and make a difference in the world. So you and I have had conversations, Don, around this idea of the importance the priority, and really the magic of using the creative voice, the creative person, the creative thought life in the context of almost any type of business. And I know that this pandemic for you, as with me, as with many, many, many people in the world, has caused us all to kind of rethink what, what is business? How do you communicate? How do you, how do you provide spaces for your team and your staff or your employees and your clients to, to do something differently and achieve the same and better results than maybe what we have done and the ways that we've done it for the last hundred years. So for you, has this, the last two years or so, has it been an unfolding and a welcome time for you? Has it been just as difficult or have you had the opportunity to really lean on your creative background? Let's unpack that. Yeah. Great questions. And there's a lot in those. Sure. I mean, now that it seems like we are through, you know, lockdowns and things like that, you can take a look back and say, okay, well, what? what really did happen to me through that time? Because, you know, if you, if you really put yourself back into March, 2020, you know, everything was, it wasn't scary. There's was almost like a, a calm and a peace and a quiet around the world because, you know, we, we couldn't go out. And there was, there was a part of me that when I look back at that, I think, I really think I started doing deeper reflective work on myself during that time. Now I was still consulting with, I was actually full-time in with that event production company and we had to be innovative and come up with digital platforms to host meetings on. And that was actually very inspiring work for me, but there was a quietness to the world that maybe caused me to start to just, you know, inventory. You have a moment, you, you can, you exhale and go, you know, what, where are we in life? I'm past 50. My four adult kids are basically gone or into their careers. I'm learning a ton and come incredibly inspired by each of them, which is a really fun chapter of parenting that I know you and I've talked about of, you know, you see the way that your children who you raised process things. And now, you know, our kids are, I think around the same age, they're basically launching into a world that is locked down. Mm -hmm. So how does that happen? And where we re-intersected is, you know, you're obviously very, you're a, you're a great thought leader on LinkedIn. And I just, I discovered Adam Grant and I started looking and I started noticing that Bob Hutchins is talking about Adam Grant a lot and posting his things. And then Bob Scott went and finished his degree and and then Bob's got his own thoughts that are very stimulating to me. And so I, I did, I would say that the pandemic was a time to look inward mm. and more, more than, I mean, if there's a central theme of what we have talked about over the last few minutes, it's, there's always, there's, I've always had a desire to, to find really beautiful things and show more people those beautiful things. And that used to look one way and then it morphed to another thing. And, it, and, and it's almost like then the time between Rocket Town and, and the, the live event company, there was just so much learning going on. And Bob, you and I have talked about this and we're around the same age. There was a whole lot of the first probably 40 years of our life that was just pretty much cast in, this is the way it is. This is the way you do things thinking about, you know, you choose my favorite band. And when they put out Octung Baby in 1992, uh, one of the best records of all time, in my opinion, 
know, what did that marketing campaign look like? Because they didn't have the internet. And then in 2005, what would a marketing campaign look like? Because they had the internet, but they didn't have social media or social media was very young. And then in 2000, so, and then in 2015, you're coming out with way more of these quick hitter kind of influencing things. And like, we're now going through these seismic shifts of how to, how to distribute our story that is moving at the speed of light where at once it, you know, moved at the speed of, of a turtle. So I like to go, Hey, even though, you know, I'm probably getting to that scary part of my career age wise, I still think I think like a 25 year old. So I'm inspired by what is going on Yeah, me too. in the professional side. And on the personal side, I chose about a year ago to seek out, you know, the right talk therapist and really dig more into my, my patterns and, you know, the, 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 the tapes that I hear, what's this negative self-talk about? And I've, I've always been a, a proponent of therapy. I've, I've tried it a few times, but I, I think there's just those sorts of things show up at the right time. Right. And last year around this time was the right time for me and found a wonderful therapist and committed, you know, the time, the energy and the money to do the hard and honest work of unpacking my habits. And as you did that, Don, what were, and you don't have to get too personal and private, but what were the, what were the things or maybe the lessons that you started to unpack for yourself that maybe you're you believe is going to be important to your career, your view of creativity moving forward? It's a really good question. It's, it's really important to find the right and trusted source to bounce things off of. Mm. And I was, I was lucky to find someone that, that worked right away. And so what, what he, what he would do in our sessions is say, what do you want to talk about today? And I would, come prepared with something. And I would kind of state, for instance, I would say, okay, today I want to talk about why do I make everything harder than it needs to be? Like, why am, why am I always, you know, why don't I walk through the front door? I mean, one of our taglines at Rocket Town, at least internally, was always, you know, we, we, we don't want to walk through the front door. We want you to come in the side window. Like, it's going to be different. It's going to be, well, Part of that's cool when it works. And then part of that is just like a struggle. And he said, well, I'll unpack some examples for me. So I unpacked a few examples and, and he said, well, let me reframe that. He said, I, I don't think you make things harder than they need to be. I think you're a futurist. You're thinking about where's it going mm-hmm. more than where is it? And you, you're always thinking that through. Well, being the type of person who can be self-deprecating and aw shucks, you know, part of me started to just be reinforced with now that I'm further into my career, there are people that I admire and trust that is an inner circle that are all starting to say the same thing about me. Mm. So rather than sliding that aside, try to take that to heart and play with it for the next week. Mm. and see, and that still feels pretentious for me to say, you know, I mean, you read it in, you know, in a, in a newer bio of mine, Don's a futurist. It's like, that sounds cocky to me, but I do believe it's true. I believe it's the truth. Right. And so I am, I'm working on believing more about the good in myself. Mm. And one of the tools that has been given to me, which is great is all of the negative voices are still going to come, but how, how, how long do you hang on to them or acknowledge them? Or can you more quickly dismiss them? Right. I know that you're here. I appreciate that you're here. Now get out of here. I have no use for you anymore. Mm. That practice really started to work for me. Acknowledging that, okay, I'm getting ready to start another agency. Well, 
you know, the little guy on the shoulder goes, well, who are you to start an agency? Okay. Thank you for being here. I don't need you anymore. Yeah. That has been really healthy work for me, particularly of just being, being, I think I do believe I've learned to be a deeper listener and contrary to all of the talking I'm doing on this podcast, learning, learning how to choose more important words than yeah. just speak. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And I, I, I will affirm that of you, that my experience with you, Don, is that you are a learner and a listener. You take copious notes whenever we're together or with anybody that we're with. And that, what that says to me is you don't, tr number one, you don't trust your own memory. Number two, you find every experience in every person valuable enough to record the learnings from it. And that's a, that's an amazing trait. I would also say too, one of the things you just said, that's been, maybe it's the point in life we are, or maybe it's just a similar experience as we've been through is learning how to observe what's happening, observe our own thoughts and letting those things pass through me versus trying to stop and hold on to those, that energy, whatever it may be, allow them to pass through, spend the time that's needed, whether they're good, bad, indifferent feelings, thoughts, experiences, emotions, but allow them to, to pass through like a river. You know, you can't push a river in a different directions with your hand. You can try. And if you get the right tools, you might dam it up, but a, a dammed up river is not always a great thing. And it's got lots of consequences, good, bad, or indifferent. And I, I think another way to say what you're saying, and I, I empathize with you is I'm learning how to more and more observe those things, experience them, but let them pass through and don't try to hold on to them and dam up that river and, and take that energy. But the more that I let those things pass through and observe rather than being a participant, I think it makes a big difference and we can be more effective and more honest and real. And respectful of ourselves. Yes. So That's when someone, so when you hear the same thing about yourself multiple times, that is on the positive spectrum mm -hmm. and you don't push that away, you start to absorb that more than the, who are you to think you can do this, which is kind of a, you know, I think plenty of people wrestle with imposter syndrome and things like that, but to kind of go, okay, no, it is time for me to that i know these this inner council of people is not blowing smoke they have nothing to gain by just you know fluffing me up and they've known me long enough to know the good the bad and the ugly so when you start to think about tools that you can use to better yourself you know, your friend group is very important i think a, a guide of some kind is very important and then also like just you know, reconnecting with you kind of people that you're not 30 year friends with, but are, you're kind of observing or kind of thinking the same thoughts or, or thinking, I mean, in my, in my opinion, it's like, you know, you, you, Bob chose to get a master's degree and what I'm interested in. So I find you very fascinating to talk about all of the, the human condition and the human voice, because I still say my tool set is, is reinforcing almost any sort of messaging with entertainment and mm -hmm. all of that connects to humanity really well but there are fantastic new learning tools that we have at our fingertips to be able to tell better stories and part of that it's just sometimes the words we select and so i am I'm trying to be much more intentional about the words I'm using and the thoughts I'm letting in and letting to, to use your, your, you know, river metaphor. It's like, you know, there are some things that are just kind of slowly rolling by and there are other things that I just need to, to get on the, 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 the level five rapids and get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I love that. Don, tell me what you're doing lately. Unpack the emotion agency, MOTN. 
Sure. My time with the event agency just ended in May and it was kind of, well, it was very much a mutual parting of the ways that I had found myself in a slot that they needed me to fill that A, I was not good at and B, gave me no fulfillment. And everybody kind of knew that. And I'd been, you know, the CEOs of a friend and we just kind of talked about, you know, maybe this chapter's closing. And so I decided to take the month of June off and almost do a little mini truncated version of what I talked about earlier, just kind of, it didn't, it didn't, it wasn't a pandemic, but it was, it was almost self-imposed. And part of that was inspired by, you know, my oldest son, who's only three and a half years into his career you know, he's an adventure seeker and he knew that he had to take some time off of work and do something to push himself physically harder and farther and said, you know, I think I'm going to have to quit my job and, you know, I'm okay with that. He lives in Brooklyn. He's like, I'll come back from this adventure and I'll get another job. And I said, you know, why don't you just go talk to your bosses? And they basically let him go for three months. And he, he rode the continental divide from Mexico to Canada on a mountain bike. And I just thought, you know, when have I ever given myself a week off? I mean, we all take vacations, but do we ever take time off? Do we ever seek something? You know, I'm not going to ride my bike across a mountain, but what is that thing that is going to make you better? So I took a month off and we went, to the mountains in, in North Carolina for a couple of weeks, but you know, all of these, I really did start. So all of these intersections are happening. The, the career arc that we have talked about, the deeper learning that I've been doing about myself, looking at what brings me joy and fulfillment, spiritually evolving into being inspired by certain things and really frustrated by other things. <clears throat> so the, the motion agency was an idea that I had. I've shared this with you. I, I, my brain is at its most productive. The moment I turn off the bedside light at night, that's so frustrating, but (laughs) sometimes I have to get up out of bed at 11 o'clock and go, okay, I need to write about this. And really the, 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 the real quick, and, and by the way, the motion agency is not launched yet. It is not fully developed, but the idea is the center hub is me and or a couple partners with complementary skill sets who take clients, listen to clients, and then have partnerships with creatives of all types to produce better results for that company. Now that can be, you might bring a Bob Hutchins in to say, how does the company flow better now that we're coming back to work? quote unquote, or what does back to work look like? And you might go to a podcast producer to say, how can we tell a story about this marketing campaign that maybe this, you know, air conditioning company never thought they had a story, but the story behind the man who invented the coils that took the condensation out of the air and cooled your house is a really fascinating story. So what if we did a six part series or what if there was a live event that needed a Justin Flom or a, you know, I, I probably shouldn't be using names, <laughs> Justin. I know I haven't talked to you fully about this, but go. But the idea of motion is you come to the agency for a creative solution mm. and you have a story to tell. And we know the right tools to get your story told in a creative fashion. Mm. I love it. I love that. I think it's going to be very successful. Tell tell me that quote again from Einstein that 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 you shared with me the other day. I think I I had heard it before, but I know it's really important to you. Why did you do that to me? <laughs> oh, creativity is intelligence having fun. Mm. Such a great quote. Creativity is intelligence having fun. You so know, that The reason that's the header on my LinkedIn, Mm -hmm. I think it is, Mm -hmm. is because a CEO is going to capture the word intelligence. You you see Albert Einstein, you see intelligence, you make the connection. But his entire point is 
about creativity and having fun. And that's, that's what, you know, if, if I could, if I could, if I could copyright a piece of marketing copy for the motion agency, it would be that you can have fun. You can reinforce your messaging. You can reinforce your content. You can bring life to your meeting marketing campaign or messaging or office environment. And we can guide you through how to do that in a, in a, in a way that's going to stick to people. I'm excited, Don. There's going to be some great work done. I would, I really appreciate you taking the time, being honest, telling your story, the intersection of all these things in your life. And I think there's a whole new chapter that is potentially bigger, better, more impactful than ever. So we're going to be excited to, to follow your work. And so I know that Motion isn't officially launched and you're still developing it, but will there be a website? And if so, is that something that people can maybe jot down and keep an eye on? Yep. Yeah. So it'll be motionagency.com and that's M-O-T-N, Missouri and Tennessee, agency.com. I am, have a very small presence on Twitter and Instagram, same handle, M-O-T-N agency. And I have not built out Facebook or LinkedIn yet, but, and then, you know, reaching me right now is Creative 615 at gmail.com. Great. Great. And people can, can also Google you. I know that, I know that you've been around in the, in the entertainment. So if they really want to find you, they can, but certainly they can go to M-O-T-N agency, look that up.com. Also the Instagram and certainly your email you just mentioned. So I'll put that in the show notes as well. Don, any closing thoughts or comments before we wrap this up? I know it is a, a buzzword of the decade, but everybody has such an interesting story to tell. Mm. And that really does include companies and culture and community. There's stories in all of those layers. And people tend to rally around creativity and entertainment that they resonate with. And I think there are new learning and entertaining intersections that are going to come in the future that I want to be a part of. And, you know, I really appreciate reconnecting with you because I really think that the work that you are doing around the human voice and the human condition and the, and, and all of the topics that you are writing about and that you are inspired by right now are intersecting with the way everybody's thinking at the moment, or I shouldn't say everybody, a lot of people are. And I want to be part of, I want to be a part of a change that pulls people into both like you do. Yeah. And I think that there's, there's a great opportunity here and I am excited about it. That's great, Don. Well, thanks again. And I'm glad you're part of the, we're on the same team and there's a lot of us out there. And great things ahead for you and Motion Agency. So we will keep our finger on the pulse there and have you back as you unpack more things. But until then, thanks again, and we'll talk soon. Bob, I really appreciate you having me. Thank you. All right.